any security tool that you get, there's no ROI instantly when you put it in. I, I, there, there is no instant ROI. Now, of course, the backend ROI, you know, is is great because if you have a, a true tool that is, is is mitigating threats and vulnerabilities, that's great. But the second that you plug in a firewall or you load up, you know, EDR or something on, on your endpoint, your CFO can't see, okay, the dollars as, as it would if there was like a, a manufacturing tool that you bought that's going to pump out product that's going to give revenue immediately this that you're already you're already in the hole with roi don't compound that by not getting the most out of it like get it in there as quick as possible as secure as possible as as helpful as possible so you can start proving reports saying hey we blocked all these things if these things were were exploited in our environment here's what it could have cost getting your cfo's temperature to come down because it, round round two is going to happen in the next six to eight months, or you're going to need something else. You have to have that in place. Again, kind of going back to what we we're talking about, speaking the financial language to say, okay, here are the dollars that we've saved here. I need something else. Here's what I see. Here's what I forecasted to save. Welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast, recorded under the big blue skies of Texas, where one CISO explores the cybersecurity landscape with the help of friends and experts. Here's your host, Alan Alford, President and CISO at Alan Alford Consulting. Howdy, y'all, and welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast. That's Paul Robinson, founder of Tempest Network, former executive in cybersecurity sales and business development. Paul is an all-around all, all around man about town in cyber, uh, and he is with me today to talk about time. It is a precious commodity in cybersecurity, and hopefully we'll uh, be able to share some insights on how to best manage your time, how to best preserve your time, uh, how to wisely spend your time. Paul, thank you so much for coming on down to the ranch. Thank you, Alan. So good to be here. Thank you for clarifying Man About Town in cyber. I appreciate that. That'll keep my name clear and clean uh, personal fronts. <laughs> Man About Town he is. All right. So the topic is time management and cybersecurity. Uh, time is the most valuable currency that we have uh, that we misspend and that we waste uh, when it comes to cybersecurity. This is a discussion that we want to center around what time really is in cybersecurity and how do we maximize it to enhance our cybersecurity posture. So um, I'll get started here um, with the first question for you, Mr. Paul. How are we supposed to keep up with industry trends? That seems to be one of the big time sinkholes for me. Yeah, we are we are absolutely drowning as a community in industry trends just because industry trends are actually minute by minute, if not second by second. Uh, and it's very difficult for cybersecurity prof professionals, especially those in executive management, uh, to keep up with it. So there are a couple of different things that I would advise our, our group here to, uh, to take advantage of. One is there are some good periodicals that are out there. Um, I know Security Week, uh, Bleeping Computer are a couple of ones that keep, keep us very uh, present and very uh, focused in on things that are ever-changing in our environment. 
The other thing um, that I want us to consider and to kind of think outside of the box is is to in, in, integrate with our peers, uh, communicate with our peers. There are some really good peer groups here in Rochester, New York. There are Slack channels. There are some Discord servers and things like that where people are seeing real-time um, issues come up or, or matters come up in their own networks. So, you know, what better way to get m- the most up-to-date pieces of information for people that are actually living breathing the uh, the incidents that are taking place um, or, or changes that are taking place so I would uh, you know I would encourage that and and I know it's difficult for us to kind of put ourselves out there especially in cybersecurity especially you know it, it's it's uncomfortable to say hey you know I need help uh, you know there's a way that you could formulate that to, to where it you know can make you feel a little bit better about how you put yourself out there but really engage um, with people in your community just say hey you know Paul Robinson in Rochester I'm in cybersecurity. And I'm just looking for a group that we can work together to uh, combat threats and vulnerabilities in a, in a real-time format. I'd love to set up a Slack group. You know, please, please let me know if you're interested. Send me a private message. Obviously, vet them out. Uh, we want to be careful not to have, um, you know, the adversary kind of sneak their way in there. But once you do, you know, set up these groups, set up coffee, sit around and talk and and really use that to stay up to, up to date on trends. Our, our adversaries do the same thing. Um, they are talking on uh, chats and things of that nature. We should mirror that in our industry uh, as well. I love that. I love that answer. Uh, Dallas, Fort Worth, I've mentioned this before on the show. We got a brilliant CISO community here, uh, really tight knit, really close group. There's a lot of even splinter groups and sub facets of the CISOs, you know, meeting. We've got groups that do regular lunches, groups that do regular happy hours, groups that do meetups. We've got the CISO XC conference series. Like we've got a million and one ways in Dallas to connect locally. And then as far as national and international goes, uh, I will echo what you said. I'm on a, several Slack groups, uh, many, many good Slack groups. Um, huge fan, huge pro- huge proponent, huge advocate. You know, with Slack, to your point, it's a little harder to vet who's who in the zoo. Um, but I think that there's a, a good process to sort of see, you know, hey, this is a real CISO with a real problem and, you know, have, have codified rules of, you know, the TLP protocols and these kinds of things, you know, traffic light protocols. And there's a lot of ways to, to, to create some safety and some comfort for the group to share. And to your point, it's kind of hard sometimes to reach out and, and ask for help. But I think sometimes in, in the cybersecurity community, it's hard to reach out and give concrete and specific advice like, why, yes, we use that particular product and why, yes, it's configured in exactly this way. And, you know, those kinds of answers where you're giving away the secrets to your security sauce, that's a little bit challenging too. But I think those things can all be overcome with, with, a good trust centric community getting built around it. And to your point, just go have coffee, right? Yeah. Trust, but verify, right? That's the words that we live by. There There you you go. go. (laughs) All right. Here's another big time sink for me. And this one doesn't come up as often, but I think when it comes up, it it tends to be an atom bomb of time suck, Uh, kind of a tactical nuke, if you will. How can we recoup or at least minimize the time lost during a cyber incident? Oh yeah, yeah, that's a that's a big one. And and Alan, you know, we've talked before. Uh, you know, when you when you taste a cyber incident, your your passion for the industry grows a lot more because. But going back to the time piece of it, you see the time that it robs from people. You know, I've been involved in cyber. One one particular story I think of is. 
Um, there was a cyber incident I was working on and the CIO had to miss their daughter's senior soccer banquet. The, the daughter had played soccer from three up until high school and she had to miss it because there was no way she could leave. Like legally, she could not leave the premises um, and had to miss it. So, oh. you know, that's a type of time that we're, it's not just time of, oh, well, we have to figure things out. So let's start with there in the foundational piece of it. I'm a big proponent of preparing, um, you know, for a disaster, whether it be a natural disaster or a cyber disaster. And there have to be ways that we prepare for these things up front uh, and, ha- and spend the time and effort, maybe some money up front to present, pre- prevent the time sink that happens on the back end. So the first thing I would encourage our folks to do is develop a holistic business incident response plan. And what I yes. mean by that is, um, you know, sometimes we focus in on the technical piece of it. So, you know, if a ransomware piece breaks out, then we're like, oh, well, you know, let's let's focus on the technical technical piece of the incident. But it's a business thing. You know, the board, executives, mid-level management have to make crucial decisions, um, up, you know, in, 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 a, in a really difficult situation. And time is spent on deliberating these things. Do we pay? Do we not pay? Do we pull the plug on service? Do we not pull the plugs on service? Do we tell people, you know, do we not tell people? And if you have a plan that is baked up front, then that deliberation goes away because we've all signed off on this. We've all decided this is what we're going to do. We're going to stick to the script and that will help you to save time. Another piece that I advise you uh, group is that if you have um, asked a third party to serve as your forensics team or your incident response team um, as an outsource function, make sure that the SLAs are clearing your contracts before you sign them. I had an incident that I was working on one time that came to me where they were waiting for their incident response uh, supplier for 48 hours, um, two days, two full days of being down in chaos, servers melting, people going crazy. And finally, they just said, we have to find somebody to, to help us. So imagine losing two days of an incident as just a standstill. I was going to say that's a lesson in read the fine print in your contract, if nothing else, right? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. You have you have to do that. Um, so making sure that you have that, and then sec, and then lastly, what I would say is uh, kind of going back to the holistic plan. Um, cyber lawyers and uh, public relations are very big as well in saving time. So the lawyers, these are legal events that take place, Uh, whether it's legally determined it's a breach or not, there has to be some sort of concrete way to determine that. So when you get all this forensics data, all this log data, um, you're you're going to now have to present whether, you know, depending on your compliance or contracts that you have, you're going to have to present legally what happened. And I've seen folks that have um, actually had a CEO said that he was going to serve as a legal representation for his business in an an attack. I said, sir, please do not do that. And um, he finally got a lawyer. And and again, it kind of helped him to save time. The other piece of that is public relations as well. Um, You know, when you have to get when you have to get information out to your employees or to the general public, the time that you spend up front and saying, okay, here's how we're going to craft our message to make sure that we're not putting ourselves in a more vulnerable state by saying the word, the wrong words or saying the wrong vernacular um, is very important. Have a solid PR plan up front to make sure you know, hey, this is what we're going to the general public with. We're not going to lie. We're not going to deceive. But there are ways that 
you have to present this information to the general public to protect yourself on the back end. I like that. I like that a lot. And I, you know, I, I, I tend to agree. I think, you know, strategic, uh, high level plan, communication plan, calling trees, run books for the various types of scenarios you might run into, tabletop exercises to go through these and drill them over and over and over. I think all of that is healthy investment of time. It seems like a, a spend of time up front, but in the end, boy, when the real incident hits, you're going to discover you've saved yourself a ton of not just time, but but painful time, right? The Watching the clock tick during a live incident when you don't know if you've actually even contained the threat or whether it's still spreading, boy, every second is a, is a year in that scenario. Yeah, it, it really is. And, and you also have to remember at what time of the day you're usually working on these events. Um, that's, that's, that's important to understand. I mean, imagine being woken up at three o'clock in the morning, which is, I mean, it's, you know, tail, tail is all this time. That's usually when these things hit, you know, having the, the foggy brain, you know, being woken up with a tragedy at work, um, you know, to be able to have something that you can kind of clear the cobwebs off, get a couple sips of coffee and say, okay, here's the plan. This is what we're going to do. Um, it saves time because, you know, if you're not thinking at three 30 in the morning, which a lot of us don't, you know, don't do, you could make some tragic technical and legal mistakes without having that plan up front, which then is going to add more time on the back. End. Yep. And, and I've got one other tip on the time saving for an incident too. And I'm with you completely on, on lawyers and comms teams as well, but there's another really simple one. Your playbooks, your run books, your cyber insurance policy, your calling trees, all of those documents should be stored someplace in addition to on the centralized file share, because the Absolutely. odds are it's the centralized file share that got hit. And there's yes. nothing worse than realizing we practiced this. We played this. We know exactly what to do. Let me just go grab the, O. Oh, yeah, yep. I can't. Mm -hmm. Make mm -hmm. sure you have physical copies. Make sure you have offline copies. Make sure you store a bunch of that information in multiple places so that you don't waste time having to reinvent your calling tree, having to remember and try to recreate your playbooks, et cetera, et cetera. That's another big tip mm -hmm. I offer folks there. Fantastic. Fantastic. Yes. All right. Third-party questionnaires. Almost every one of us as practitioners has to answer these darn things. And if we are B2B folks, the odds are uh, we're sending them out as well, right? Um, you know, the odds are we're dealing with other vendors and sending out questionnaires. The odds are as CISOs, we are answering questionnaires. If we're B2B CISOs, we're answering them. Um, I've seen an awful lot of wasted time in my career going back and forth on these things. Um, what's some time-saving tips there? Because those are a huge time sink, both directions. Let's pause right there real quick for a word from our sponsor. Do you want to make cloud security risks a no-brainer and remove friction between your security and dev teams? Well, Daz takes the pain out of the cloud remediation process using automation and intelligence to discover, reduce, and fix security issues. Lightning fast. Daz prioritizes alerts, shrinks backlog to actionable root causes, and improves mean time to remediation from weeks to hours. And best of all, keeps your developers focused on what they love doing most, coding. Visit daz.io slash demo and see for yourself. That's D-A-Z-Z dot I-O slash demo. Yeah. Yeah. So let me let me say uh, my foundational statement before I go on a quasi rant here. Third party risk is of vital importance. It, it is becoming a very, um, very big conduit for for cyber attacks. You know, we have the uh, the move it um, 
scenario that just broke out in the last couple of weeks of where it was a third party um, that caused havoc for over 2,500 um, organizations due to the vulnerability that was found inside of it. So I want to say that because I'm going to kind of go on a little rant here of on our industry and kind of call it out to where we do a bad job, whether it's third party risk or other things of overcomplicating things. And if you've been involved in reading one of these documents or putting one of these documents together, nine times out of 10, it, it's a, a confusing document. It's it's overstated. It's it's very wordy. It's heavy. 50 page vendor risk documents are, are commonplace. And that's where you have people that are doing these ripping their hair out. Um, so let's take both sides of it. Let's take the first side of you are the one sending out the questionnaire. If you're sending out the questionnaire, what I advise in saving time is hone in on what it is that you are looking to protect. Um, you know, we we people they have to Google it because they're saying, okay, we need a SOC two attestation, we need this, we need that. It doesn't fit. Take a snapshot of your business. Um, I encourage people, if you haven't built a cybersecurity program that uh, displays what it is that your business's security practices, and then say, okay, these are the things that we need to protect. If it's EPHI, if it's client data, if it's IP, make sure that your third-party risk uh, document is saying, okay, this organization is going to have access to this, to this information. Let's focus it in on here. How are you going to protect our precious crown jewels? Because in the end, if something were to happen on your time, yeah, we can go to litigation, we can go through the whole headache, but we're in trouble. Like if you're the conduit into it, you're in trouble. We're in trouble. So how do we protect specifically what it is um, that we need that we need to do? If you're on the receiving end of it, I kind of touched on this um, with with um, with sending them out. But a solid cybersecurity program saves a ton of time, and and having that and having that just tight and clean and holistic is going to save you time because really that's all the company that is asking you about this stuff is, is looking for. Do you have basic cybersecurity principles assigned? Do you have, when's the last time you've done your business risk assessment? When's the last time you did penetration testing? When's the last time you've te- tested access control? Like it's just a basic thing. So if you're doing the basic things in your cybersecurity program, you're all, you're automatically there. I'd also say communication um, is key. Um, all, you know, if you get this 50 page document, um, sent to you, this is such, it's such a, it's not an established environment. So I feel that you're well within your right to say, okay, 50 pages here. Can you please highlight to me what it is that you're looking for and start that dialogue to me, it would save you some time to not have to go through the 50 pages, but maybe out of that 50 page document, it's a 20 to 30 minute conversation that takes place. And you're like, okay, we have that. Can we just batch ship you our cybersecurity program? Okay, sure, that's great. And then you've saved yourself some time from that perspective. It, it's a great question when 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 you know when you pros this, it, it caused me to take a step back and think. And and I wouldn't say I'm a hundred percent there in what I've answered. I think there are some other things that we can do, which you know maybe this will cause some great discussion in our in our chat as uh, as to how people are doing it. But these are the basic fundamental things that I think we can we can do to make sure that we are cutting time on something that's very important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I. I tend to look at this stuff uh, a couple of different ways. One is to your point, the gigantic questionnaire of the bazillion pages like that. That's so dead. It's it's not 
it's not useful to either party. I sent out a questionnaire just this week that had less than 35 questions. And I'm telling you, I'm going to be able to get that down even tighter than that. So that's that's one point where I'm in full agreement. It's like, do you really need to know every nuance of everything of everything of everything of every subfacet of every detail of every nuance? No, you don't. And it's not even going to help you to know that information, right? So only ask what you really care about, right? That's 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 tip number one I have there. And the other thing, I, I never give shout outs to companies on this show um, by name. Uh, but these guys, they've, they've never sponsored the show. I'm just, I'm friendly to them. I, I appreciate and value what they're doing for the industry. And that's safe base. They're a clearinghouse. You basically take your SOC 2, you take your ISO, you take your whatever search you might have, you take your pen test results, you take your questionnaire answers, and you post them all on, onto this sort of clearinghouse. And then when other customers come to you and say, I want your stuff, you just steer them there. Hey, look, we're proactively publishing all of our stuff. Just go grab it. And SafeBase houses and, and stores and, 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 and serves as that clearinghouse, right? It's, it's brilliant to me. It's kind of, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a step past that thing. And then to your point, too, one thing I've really learned over the years, and this is being on both sides of the fence, is a CISO to CISO communication is so much quicker. The baud rate is there. You know, it's like two CISOs can spin up to a very high baud rate, exchange information very quickly, get a feel for each other, get a quick fix on exactly what they care about. You know, and, and I think it was Andy Ellis was on the show a while back. You know, I think he said he, he reduces his down to, I want to say it was three questions. Do you have a dedicated security person? Do you have a risk register? And what's the biggest risk you're carrying right now? Man, that's awesome. You know, that's like awesome. just those three, like boom, everything. boom, boom. It covers everything. It covers everything. And and kind of to your CISO to CISO point, you know, I've been involved in so many contract negotiations um, where red lines are happening with MSAs and NDAs with yes. products and solutions. And so you have the lawyer and then you have, you know, you have these two lawyers that are going back and forth. It's like, okay, everybody hold off. Let's go to general. Let's go to both general counsels. And the thing that you're going back and forth on for two weeks, it's like 10 minutes. It's done. So CISO to CISO on third-party risk, I think it's great because you both you, you both have risk in the situation. So it's not like one person holds any any power over you. It's like, okay, what do you need? And then we just go from there. Right. That's it. That's it. You get that expertise in the room together, just literally just talking, even if it's a virtual Zoom conference. It doesn't have to be a room. Just get the experts talking with one another, ask the questions that matter, and move on. We all got business to do, right? We all want to see the deals happen. So let's see here. Next crazy spend of time. How about this one? We have a time. This one's not a time waster type thing and time saver kind of conversation. This one's more about where do I spend my time appropriately. For me, every CISO has three roles. I call it up, out, and down, right? Up is working with the executive leadership team and the board. Out is working with the rest of the business. And down is managing your team. So how do we sell the mission to the company? That's the out and the up while still having effective time available to manage our team. How do we do that? Like, what's the balance? How do we strike that? So I'm going to give you a million dollar idea. You're going to probably steal it and make a million. Just, you know, maybe give me a $50 Amazon card for it. Here's, here's, here's my thing is I would love to see a SaaS security version of Babel. If you know what Babel is, Babel is the translator piece of it. And this is something that I talked about at a talk the other day and where I feel people are losing their time. If a CISO is losing their time and they're losing their hair and they're losing their sanity in trying to explain what they're trying to accomplish, it's because they're not speaking the language of the business in which they are talking to. So 
if we are so we are, if we are talking up, if we're talking to executive and board level, they only care about money. That's all they care about. And they're brilliant people that want to drive business, drive revenue, and drive health of the organization. If you go in there with a Nessus report, sorry to give Nessus a shout out there, but, but I just, just came to mind. If you go in there with a, a Nessus report and you have a heat map and you have 255.255.00.whatever, it doesn't work. And you're left wasting time trying to explain to them that. But if you're in a healthcare organization and you say, okay, you see this red over here on this EMR system, if this EMR system goes out, then that means that we do not have access to patient data. If we don't have access to patient data, patients can die. We need to fix this. Boom. The business then is able to connect with that. Then if you're talking, and then if you're talking to employees, uh, the example that I use on this one is, you know, a car dealership, you know, car dealerships are notorious for being kind of lax on security, which is now changing with FTC. But you go to a car dealership and you go to a, um, a salesperson there and you say, okay, um, we need to put security on the mobile device that you use for sales. Oh, I don't want to do that. You're going to waste my, okay. What if you lost 100 customers that were on that mobile device and it went to your competitor and they sold 100 cars to them and you sold nothing? What would happen to you? Well, I'd lose my job. Exactly. That's what we don't want to have happen to you. We don't want you to lose a job. And then to our teams, um, we, we kind of have to get a little dramatic and say, guys and gals, like the fate of our business rests in our expertise and our talents and what we do. And getting them and getting them to understand that, and, and, you know, and it, some people think it's a little dramatic, but I don't. I don't. As, as you're making decisions, as you're making firewall changes, as you're making changes to policies and procedures, this could that could very well, and we can draw a line of delineation to it, to where it saves the business by the by the decisions and the actions that we're doing with that. So, it, it's kind of a weird way to answer the question. I, I kind of get it, but you know, there's so many way, kind of different ways you can take. But I wanted to focus in on the communication. I think we lose so much time in the communication gaps that we have throughout the business. We have to touch the hearts of our employees um, and our employers. You know, cybersecurity is very emotional. It's a very emotional business. It, it is heady. It is binary. But when you can get to the normal, you know, employees' hearts and say, wow, I could lose a paycheck off of this, or I could be let go because of this, because we have to do layoffs because we can't afford to keep people because of a cyber attack. When you start to st- speak their language and in terms that they understand, Time comes down considerably. I've seen it time and time again. The best CISOs that I see out there are business people that can take complex, intricate situations and break it down to where their mom can understand it. Right, right. No, that's exactly it. Save save time by communicating well. And that's all directions. And honestly, it's not drama when you're talking to your team that way. It's really just impressing upon them business impact as well. That's really all you're doing when you when you when you say you're doing that, right? That's really all you're saying. All right, let's see here. Next big time sinkhole. One I love to talk about is uh, vendor onboarding. How do we tackle that one? Yeah, that's a tough one. That's a tough. That is that is a tough one. So um, when we talk about vendor onboarding. Um, we have to get smarter in how we buy the tools first. I think that's really where we have to get. Um, we we don't we don't generally do a good job in our industry of taking our business and seeing how the business 
it's the tools. It's usually we're going to shoehorn the tools in here because it's top right of some periodical that's out there and it's the best of the breed and we have to buy it. Um, we have to set the table up front again, kind of taking the pre the pre front of it to say, okay, asking the questions to the vendor. Okay. Knowing our, knowing our environment map out to me how long this should take before it's up and operational because how much shelfware is out there. I, I, I had a really good friend of mine had a crazy budget. He's like, yeah, I have $2.5 million of hardware that is propping my door right now. We never got it up because we, we did, we didn't know how to onboard the tool into our environment. And, and there are a lot of stories out there, maybe not as high as the amount dollar amount, but there are stories out there of that. So it's, it's organizations taking the upfront piece of it to say, okay, this is how we need to onboard the tool. Are we going to need a half FTE? And then you have to say, okay, you know, can we afford a half FTE? So you're having those front end discussions. I've seen so many people buy a tool and they're like, oh my goodness, I need an FTE dedicated to watching my SIM. They go back to the board and say, okay, we need some person to do it. Like, oh no, 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 no. We just spent half a million dollars on this tool. Go find someone. And then you have massive problems up front. Uh, on the back end, on the back end of it, so um, it's really directing. It's really directing the the vendor process up front. So when you do sign over that check for that tool, day one that that SaaS product or or tool hits the, de- the desk, you already have a time a time map already synced out to say, okay, this this based off of our upfront investigation should take thirty days to get up and running. At least you know the time. Now, is thirty days optimal? That's a relative statement, but at least you know the time and at least, you know, there's a means to the end of it. Not, oh, we had a great steak dinner and then we went to the football game and I love it. I'm going to buy this tool and it's sitting there for months, not doing anything, causing even more vulnerabilities because you're not getting what exactly it is that you need. Um, It's getting that time up front. Not not to mention back to that business conversation upstairs, right? That um, software there's no, there's no better way to piss off your CFO than for him to catch wind that he's, you, you spent a bunch of his money <laughs> on some crap that's sitting around doing nothing for the security posture of the business, right? Like, like shelfware should be the greatest shame in our industry as a CISO, right? It really, truly should be. It's, it's a mark of utter failure in my mind to have, to have two and a half million of shelfware. No offense to your friend. Like, that's crazy to me. That means, like, I have spent a bunch of money, I have wasted business money, and I'm not improving the security posture of the organization in the slightest, and your point, possibly even sliding the wrong direction by having spent that $2.5 million. That is nuts to me. Oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. And, and really, it, it's, it's, a, it's double jeopardy because any security tool that you get, there's no ROI instantly when you put it in. I, I, there, there is no instant ROI. Now, of course, the backend ROI, you know, is is great because if you have a, a true tool that is, is is mitigating threats and vulnerabilities, that's great. But the second that you plug in a firewall or you load up, you know, EDR or something on on your endpoint, your CFO can't see. Okay, the dollars as, as it would if there was like a, a manufacturing tool that you bought that's going to pump out product that's going to give revenue immediately this is you're already you're already in a hole with roi don't compound that by not getting the most out of it like get it in there as quick as possible as secure as possible as as helpful as possible so you can start proving reports saying hey we blocked all these things if these things were were exploited in our environment here's what it could have cost getting your cfo's temperature to come down because 
round round two is going to happen in the next six to eight months, or you're going to need something else. You have to have that in place. Again, kind of going back to what we're talking about, speaking the financial language to say, okay, here are the dollars that we've saved here. I need something else. Here's what I see. Here's what I forecast it to say. Here's what I've given. Here's what I'm giving you. Here's what it's done to our risk posture. Here's what it's done to our cybersecurity compliance requirements. Here's what it's done to our maturity posture. Every move I make, I try to express those three ways. Those are my three slider bars. Here's my cybersecurity maturity. Here's my compliance and regulatory. And here's my uh, known risks reduced. And now, now that I've provided that for you with the first five dollars you gave me, I'm ready for the next five dollars, and I'm going to go spend it over here, here, and here. Granted, I'm asking for more than five dollars in most cases. <laughs> all right. Imagine if it was only five. <laughs> right. Boy, we'd all have brilliant cyber programs, wouldn't we? Um, elephant in the room. This is going to be my last question for the day. Here, elephant in the room, and we're gonna we're just gonna dig into this nasty little issue: work from home versus working in the office. Remember, the subject of the show is time and time savings. I'm going to put forth my hypothesis that working from home means I'm, I'm actually productive during what would be wasted commute time. What's your take on it? I think it's an interesting thing. So I'm a work from home guy. I've, I, worked, I worked from home prior to pandemic and everything like that. And I found Same. that the, 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 the waste of time um, – uh, commuting and even chit chat in the break room and things like that. Like I was losing a lot of time if I, when I took a, a real audit of it. So I'm a work from home guy. I get that there are people that aren't, I get that there are people that aren't that want to go nine to five Monday through Friday. Like that hour drive is actually a way to prepare for the day and then decompress before you go home to your second job, which is daddy Uber, daddy referee, you know, daddy DoorDash, the whole, you know, the whole nine of it. So, um, you know, it, it is, it really is. And I think from a security perspective, I would say it's important to at least have some sort of hybrid model um, to, to have safe accessibility accessibility into the network from home because going back to that god awful call at 3 a.m if you're if you're an hour away from the office that's an hour loss of an incident and we've talked about seconds losing seconds an hour loss in an incident is horrible that can be horrible. yeah that can be catastrophic that's catastrophic, the difference between one machine got infected and all machines got infected yes yes exactly yeah. so the ability to have safe accessibility to networks or to policies and procedures to execute on your incident response plan is great to have from home because you can kind of roll out of bed, roll to your computer, fire it up within a couple of minutes as opposed to 45 minutes to an hour. So, you know, work from home hybrid, you know, it's become a religious debate and I've, I've kind of landed on the process of, you know, whatever works for you. Like I get it. Like I don't want to argue it, but in security, I would contest that it is vital that we have some form of remote uh, capabilities where we can we can move quickly into an incident and start working as quick as possible. Yep, I, I'm in full agreement. Well, listen, Paul Robinson, founder at Tempest Network, thank you so much for coming on down to the Cyber Ranch. You got any uh, any shout outs you want to give before we call it a show? 
No, I you know, I want to give you a shout out, man. Uh, this is this is fantastic. This is this is what we need. We need good, solid conversations around cyber and the charge that you've led over the years and, and the network that you've grown. Um, I'm hoping we get this out there and we get more people talking. And and you're one of the founding founding fathers of this of this whole initiative. So my my only shout out to you, buddy. I appreciate you and it is a honor um and quasi nerve-wracking to be on such a such a great show like this um and i appreciate you and the work that you and your team is doing well paul thank you so much man that's a, that's a huge compliment coming from you. You, you you're doing a lot in this industry as well for those who don't know tempest network it's t-e-m-p-u-s go look paul up uh you'll see that he's up to some really cool things in our industry as well uh that's it that's our show thank you Kim paul again thank you listeners y'all be good now 